welcome back to Behind the Screens. I'm Ryan Preventure. I'm Matthew Liebman. And I'm Simon Burton. So we're, I don't know whether you call it popular demand, but at least we're back for one more uh, for the year. Back from your demand, Matt. Back from Matt's demand. I'm popular, aren't I? Okay. Talking of popular, though, Wonka. Let's start with the numbers. Simon, with the numbers, with the Wonka numbers bonkers. That was brilliant, Matt. Well done. Um, Wonka from Warner Brothers, yes, uh, opened last weekend internationally um, in 37 markets, opened domestically this past weekend, taking $39 million from a tick over 4,200 screens. Uh, It opened in another 40 markets internationally this weekend, taking a total from 77 international markets of 53.6 million for a weekend total of 92.6 million, bringing its global cube now to $153 million. Uh, In those international markets, it ranked first in 60 out of the 77. And what is a really terrific sign for the film going forward is the hold from those initial 37 markets was only a drop of 30%. If you exclude China, it was only a drop of 27%. Um, so that augurs beautifully for the, the domestic release holding really strongly over the, the coming weeks. Looking at more detail to some of the international markets this past weekend, openers were led by France taking $5.1 million, Australia taking $4 million, and Italy with $3.4 million. So after two weekends at the box office, the QM leaders internationally are the UK with $23 million, Mexico with $11 million, and Germany with $7 million. These, um, these results are, are terrific. No surprises. We're getting strong cinema scores of, of A-, minus, um, close to consensus with Rotten Tomatoes, 84% for the reviewers, but even higher for the audience at 91%. Uh, it, it's uh, interesting that Ryan with no kids and me with older teenagers, we've both seen it. The, the parent of young kids, you, Berto, haven't bothered to take your kids yet. Um, I don't know whether that gets you the dad of the year Christmas mug. But Ryan, you liked it, and um, I thought it was charming. I thought it was even better the second time. I loved, I loved the film. It was, I thought it was fantastic. I would absolutely see it again in cinemas. I, I, I can't rave about it enough. I, I just thought it was a delightful movie. Not pretending to be anything else. It's just a, it's just a fun ride. But let's look at the, let's look at the comparable movies that we had and and how it did this particular weekend with uh, relation to audiences. Some of the comps we had are. The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, Wish, The Haunted Mansion, Blue Beetle, The Marbles, The Third Trolls that just came out, Gran Turismo, and The Creator. We decided to go with The Haunted Mansion because sometimes when we're picking these films, we're really trying to look at the one that that has a kind of a similarity with it the most. And this one, The Haunted Mansion does. And what we found is when we looked at the, the frequency and the age ranges and audience, it was very, very, very similar. So when we're looking at this again, I I know I say this every week, the first film that we're going to talk about is going to be Wonka. We're going to be comparing that with The Haunted Mansion. So that's going to be the second movie. For infrequent moviegoers, it was 29% to 30, almost exactly the same. Occasional moviegoers were 33% for Wonka compared to 35% for The Haunted Mansion. Frequent moviegoers were 30% across the board, and very frequent moviegoers was 7% for Wonka to 5% for The Haunted Mansion. So when you look at frequency, the way that people are behaving in terms of maybe taking their kids to see these films are very, 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 very similar with frequency. 
What we saw was a real similarity in age range as well. 2 to 11 was 12% compared to 11, so very close there. 12 to 17 was 5 to 4%. 18 to 24 was 12% for Wonka compared to 8% for the Haunted Mansion. 25 to 34 was a little bit higher at 18 to 16%. So that's where some of the, the audience really, we started to find the numbers go up a little. 35 to 44 was 19 to 20%. 45 to 54 was 17 across the board for Wonka and the Haunted Mansion. 55 to 64 was 11 to 13%. And 65 and older, we saw just a little bit less for Wonka at 6% compared to 11. I think what you're seeing here, is uh, you are having some young kids coming to this. So parents taking their young kids, that's why you get the 12% there for uh, two to 11. But you're also seeing maybe a little bit of a nostalgic factor, whether it be the uh, Tim Burton film or the one that's been around for over 50 years now, the Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. So you're seeing a lot of similarities and there is a lot of callbacks in the film to the original Willy Wonka. Right, I was just gonna say also with that age break, don't forget the Chalamet effect. And I can't with a 15 year old yeah. daughter. So that's hitting that that tween audience as well and, and teen audience. And I think that's that's one that you'd wanna try to reach out to over the next couple of weeks. This is a, Warner Brothers is very clear on this, that this is a long haul. They wanted a strong opening, but they want this film to hang in there for a while. And it should, based on the audience responses. And I think it's going to have a really good kind of word of mouth. It's whatever we call word of mouth now with social media. But it's, uh, you know, schools are starting to get out. Most schools in the United States are going to be completely out next week. Wonka could have some fantastic holdovers that could really push this film to well over 100 million in the United States. And so that was your, your age breakdown. Um, were there any other elements of profile that are worth calling out? You know, it was it was about the same for Haunted Mansions. It was male, 52% compared to 46% for Haunted Mansions. So really, it's a... People either going as couples or parents taking their taking their kids to it. So it was sixty two percent of the audience was Caucasian. So it's 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 looking to one kind of audience, but I think that'll probably start to shift as we start to move into the rest of the weeks of the release of this film. Is it true that like seven percent were Oompa Loompas and they were mainly on two for one tickets because they'd share a seat? Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true. The problem is they had a lot of issues with the singing during the movie, so a lot of those got. Uh, they had some issues. Yeah, well, once you start yeah. dancing, the song starts. There you go. All righty. So, Simon, back to you. Um, what we would love to do now is go to some of these holdovers because, um, again, we're seeing that films are getting really long legs and racking up big grosses over time, led by the, the Hunger Games prequel. Yeah, the Hunger Games passed the $300 million mark globally this past weekend, holding down the second spot at domestic box office with $5.8 million, only a drop of 37%. The Boy and the Heron in third position, dropping 60% from its opening weekend, $5.1 million. Godzilla in fourth spot with $4.9 million. And Trolls band together with $4 million, bringing its domestic cube to nearly $90 million. The number of new releases coming out on the 22nd and on Christmas Day, the, the rom-com set in Sydney, anyone but you, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, The Iron Claw, and American Fiction, all of which open on the 22nd, and rolling into Christmas Day itself, The Color Purple, The Boys in the Boat, and Ferrari. So lots of titles there. But given the number of titles, what we thought we might do to round out this episode is go for a bit of a year in review and talk about some of the trends we saw coming, some of the predictions we might have for next year, and, and share what our favorite films are. So 
why don't we go around the traps and start with you, Ryan? What trends did you see start to emerge in the industry this year that you think might carry forward? Well, certainly video games were, were something that we, I think we were uh, maybe even a little bit surprised that we saw a bunch of films, whether it was Super Mario Brothers or Five Nights at Freddy's, that really that really kind of clicked with audiences. And I think we're going to probably see a little bit more of that. Certainly a sequel to Super Mario Brothers is going to happen at some point. One thing we also found was that you know, there were some of the pop movies were top movies were not part of franchises. Barbie, Oppenheimer and Super Mario Brothers were all standalone films. Well, we won't see a sequel to Oppenheimer, but certainly Barbie and unless Matthew thinks he has one, but we're not going to have a sequel to that one. But we we probably will see sequels to Super Mario Brothers and Barbie, but they were standalone. And I think what that shows is that this sort of franchise uh this this franchise sort of uh, tiredness that we're getting from from moviegoers, uh, we saw that with whether it was Indiana Jones or some of the Marvel films or or even Mission Impossible, that maybe newer content that is not based on a pre-existing IP might might be the way to go for at least some films looking into 2024, 2025. Uh, you know, the strike certainly impacted a lot when it came to to box office and and people being able to promote their films and be able to make films. It's not only affecting 2023, it's also affecting 2024 with movies getting pushed. So although we're all very, very excited that the strikes are over, the impact is going to last for, for quite some time. And we saw that right up until really the beginning of December uh, for some of the releases that we've had. Uh, yeah, following from what Ryan said, I, I think I'd uh, call it franchise fatigue. We look back at the commencement of 2023 um, and uh, I think looking at the, the odds for the highest grossing film of the year, it was odds on favourite was Garden, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 um, and that didn't live up to expectations and was surpassed by Super Mario Brothers and Barbie, which were both uh, both double-digit odds, I think, at the start of the year. Um, not cranky about Mario Brothers coming second whatsoever. Yeah, for me, it's the year of the strike, and I would put it in other terms. It's the year of the own goal. You know, we as an industry had started to come out of COVID. We saw enough success stories with, um, with Barbie, with Oppenheimer, with Taylor, that when films showed up, people would come, and then all of a sudden there's a strike that hits and impacts the exhibition side of the business um, in, in significant ways. And, you know, as an observer, I, I think it's essential that those participating in this industry can have a fair living, but I'm not sure it needed to go for over 118 days. And the impact wasn't just felt in the back half of this year, it'll be felt next year as well. And just to put that into context, from a worldwide perspective, at the end of August, the industry was down only 9% against the 2017 to 19 average. That had blown out to 14% on a worldwide basis by the end of November. Similarly, domestic was a little worse off by the end of August. It was 15% down on that three-year average and had blown out to 19% by the end of November. Um, you know, we, we on the exhibition side of the business have really, you know, kept head above water um, looking at how to give the best experiences to remain efficient, effective and commercial. And then to have this come out um, on the back of the pandemic is, um, you know, a bit of a gut punch. And I think that's one of the, the major issues that we'll see for the year. Um, in terms of predictions, I think if I look to 2024 and I'll kick off and we can go back around again, 
I think there's one of those around, you know, the mega successes of of some of these one-off titles maybe not becoming a sustainable trend. Um, we saw Taylor Swift and all of a sudden concert films were going to be the next big thing on the back of her quarter billion dollar global success. We said up front, we thought Beyonce was the only natural number two and so far sitting at $36 million. So yes, concert films will continue. They've been around for years. Uh, we had uh, people talking about the, the reissue of Stop Making Sense. Andre Ria is always there, but I'm not sure this is going to be a major um, new new trend. Um, some of these uh, more novel forms of, of releasing like Sound of Freedom, again, massive success. I'm sure there'll be others, but again, that's another quarter billion dollar film. There's an element of lightning in a bottle. So I think we need to just temper ourselves a little bit uh, to say that these aren't necessarily going to be colored by number repeats. I do think we're going to see some more foreign titles. I mean, we certainly saw that last weekend with Boy and the Heron and Godzilla Minus One. Bollywood started to make an impact in bigger ways in the domestic market. It's already made inroads in places like Australia and New Zealand and other non-Indian uh, or non-domestic markets for that, that content. Um, and I kind of wonder if Netflix has started to prime audiences to get used to international content. When they released their, uh, their first deep dive audience numbers a week or so ago, non-domestic content being non-North American content was, was really highly rated. And so if people are getting more comfortable watching international titles at home, I think we might see more of that in the cinema. But I can't help but wonder if we look at North America, whether these sorts of films will almost like act like domestic titles in non-US markets. So for example, Aussie titles in the Australian market, where over the last three years, Australian titles have, have averaged about 7.5% box office in the Australian market. It's the difference between an okay year and a great year. And I think that might happen. I just don't think that they will, you know, save a bad year and turn it good. So I think that's my prediction. We will see some more niches driving it. We'll welcome them, but they aren't going to save the industry. What we need is more titles, diverse titles coming out of Hollywood to drive the global uh, box office for the, the most part. Um, Ryan, how about you? What Do you have a prediction for next year? I think it's going to be another building back year and not necessarily because of COVID we've had the, the strike really did move enough pictures off of 2024 that I think we have to, we have to tep it down a little bit about what we were hoping we were going to see in 2024 and what we're actually going to see. With that said, there are a lot of great features coming out. There's a lot of Dune move from this year to next year. That's going to be a nice sort of release in March. So we've got a number of things happening that I think are going to be really, really good for the industry. It's going to, exhibitors are going to have to work really hard to promote their films and uh, they're going to, I think, do a fantastic job. And we're, we're going to see, I think the hope is that we start to see people still coming back, whether it's, whether it's because of COVID or other reasons, um, the hope is that the magic of cinema is going to keep attracting people to want to come back, have that shared experience. I think that's something that will never go away and hopefully becomes even a bigger thing in 2024. Um, I think it's one of the great things that people can do with one another is, is sharing an experience of seeing a movie together. And uh, hopefully in 2024, that will be pretty, that will be pretty great. Fingers crossed. Simon, where do you see 2024 taking us? Yeah, I think the access to, to international fare will, will continue to, to increase. Um, we're seeing a lot of international industries booming. Uh, I think that was, I think I mentioned it on last week's 
episode around the the forecast that the Indian box office is going to be going up significantly last year versus next year versus the, the estimates on some of the other market. And that's driven by a lot of local content. Um, a lot of those uh, Asian film industries are thriving uh, and getting those titles into to a lot more markets, I think, is what we'll see next year. So we'll be speaking not just about the, the Hollywood tentpole releases, but a number of those other international films getting getting more global theatrical releases and reporting on those on those grosses. And so, boys, why don't we end on a fun one? What were the favourite films you saw in, in um, theatre this year? Simon, you want to kick us off? Meg 2, The Trench. Oy. What a fantastic piece of filmmaking that was. I, I, I mean, following the Meg, I didn't think they could go any higher. And they did. They, they they went through the roof with that one. That was an absolute roller coaster ride. So much fun. Laugh out loud. Perhaps not for the right reasons, but that was a genuine True. laugh out loud film. I think it proved that AI could write better scripts than some screenwriters. But I like the fact that your sky high one was a trench. Uh, mm. Any others? I'm giving you a chance to get some credibility back. Um, any others you'd want to use to round out Stafe? Uh, I really enjoyed Air. And I also really enjoyed the new version of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, I think that was really well done. Um, the voices were, were fantastic. Yeah, that was a, a great time. Yeah. Ryan, what, what um, topped your list? Well, as I mentioned earlier, Wonka is my favorite film of the year. I thought it was fantastic. Oppenheimer, you know, I a long but important film. Barbie changed everything. I'm a big Indiana Jones fan. I loved this last installment. Uh, not everyone did, but I thought it was fantastic. On the more independent side, Saltburn freaked me out, but I thought it was great. And and Megan just was one of those films that crept in there, and it was a ton of fun. Uh, there was a lot of fun this year, and I, I, I really appreciated that. Yeah, look, for me, I think uh, I've got an overlap with both of you, which might be why we're such a good little team here. Uh, I had Oppenheimer, Air, Barbie. I saw Ken Loach's The Old Oak, which is a, a small independent um, Northern English film, which was really quite wonderful. I went and saw it Sunday night. And The Holdovers, I thought, was was excellent and no doubt will be there at awards season as well. So, um, But nice to see we have a bit of an overlap and we each go off in our own direction as well. And with that said, let's go off in our own directions. Thank you, boys. This has been fun. I kind of like talking about the industry at large and not just the box office. And we'll catch everyone behind the screens. Movio and Numero are two of the businesses within the Vista Group, the world leading provider of technology solutions to the global film industry. For more moviegoer insights, be sure to visit movio.co and follow Movio, Numero, and Vista Group on Twitter and LinkedIn. The Behind the Screens podcast is produced by Grace Furness and edited by Patrick Hanna.